0: This is 80 Conversations with me, Isabel Allen. You can subscribe free of charge at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts. We're talking today about the Museum of the Home in Hoxton, East London, which has just undergone an £18.1 million transformation by architects Wright and Wright. My guest today, Naila Yusuf, a partner at Wright and Wright who spent the last five years of her life overseeing the project. And the museum's director, Sonia Solikari. So, um, Sonia, first of all, how did you choose your architect and what were you hoping to achieve?
1: So one of the main things that we were hoping to achieve here was obviously an architect who had a real sensitivity for the historic site, because we're working with grade one listed buildings here. So it had to be an architect who was confident and comfortable in really... Um, bringing out the the, um, you know the the rich history but also the positives of of the physicality of the space as well rather than purely seeing it as as a problem to be overcome it was somebody who kind of could really embrace that so that was one of the key uh, elements in what we were looking for at the museum.
0: So Nyla with that in mind how much did you approach this as a conservation project and how much was it a reinvention?
2: Well um, the, the practice's ethos has been focused on a fabric first approach since the practice was founded long before my time and so whilst that's very much in vogue at the moment and um, that was how we kind of approached the project over six years ago now, and it was to look to the existing arms houses um, in terms of what they were doing and how much of how much of those buildings were being used so we actually found that of the of the longest building um the, the east wing only the the middle floor the ground floor was actually used for exhibition and museum use and the interesting thing about it is that because the almshouses were built as a series of cellular residences they were inherently domestic in their feel and scale and proportion so it's quite it's a lovely thing that it's a museum of the home. It's a coincidence, but actually there's a real synergy there between what the buildings are and what Sonia's done, you know, as part of their, you know, their ambitions as well as a museum. So yes, it has been to look to the existing arms houses and we've brought the first floor back into use and we've created the a new lower ground floor, which is occupied by the home galleries which meant that we were actually only needed to add to, uh, you know, a handful of new build elements to the campus to, um, you know, to, to make sure that we were doing what the museum needed us to do as part of the brief.
0: I'm interested in how you hit that balance between obviously celebrating with the very domestic nature of what you've got and what your subject matter is, and also, um, you know, creating a big cultural brand because you've got to attract visitors, you've got to attract funding, you've got to make a statement. Um, I'll ask you first, Nyla, as an architect, how did you deal with that tension?
2: Well, the, the, the building itself and its characteristics and its flaws and its quirks, they've, they've actually been a framework for design for us that have inspired us. And we hope that it's, um, it's provided the opportunities through which the museum led by Sonia could actually curate the spaces and with with them we've also designed the furniture of the spaces as well Um, so we've kind of looked at the buildings first to lead to lead the way Um, and we established a really positive relationship with the conservation team at Hackney and with Historic England so whilst we were conserving lots of the the building fabric um, they're actually quite bold works to a One listed building in terms of you know we excavated over a meter in the lower ground floor to create over 100 linear meters worth of new gallery space so it's actually quite ambitious and quite bold um, but we structurally there are certain things that we needed to retain so when the museum was originally converted into the museum of trade furniture there were detrimental structural alterations that were done at the time which we've corrected through this project and um, through doing those, those um, kind of upgrades and preserving the building fabric it's meant that things like, um, because they were originally houses, the stair enclosures were positioned in the middle of the building and in the home galleries they're actually a really lovely display, you know the display cases kind of slot into that niche um, and it's kind of you know helped influence the, mm. the design uh, aesthetic and uh, priorities in that space.
0: And uh, presumably the fact that there were all these sort of tiny enclosed spaces and all these front doors and this very strong relationship between gardens and houses. I'm guessing that's sort of come into its own now with social distancing and COVID, has it? Are you grateful for that, Sonia?
1: Um, Yeah, we're certainly grateful to have a lot of outside space. And, you know, that was always very much part of the project as well, how to make those outside spaces more accessible because actually previously, visitors would have to go quite a circuitous route to get into our garden through time. And now there's direct access into those gardens. So it's, it's brilliant that visitors will be able to reach those open spaces much more easily. Um, but then there's, always, there's direct relationship between inside and out throughout the building. So people can kind of orientate themselves and, and see how they may sort of, you know, get out into those open spaces as well. But, um, you know, the whole site has been opened up. So it means that, you know, we're, we're, you know, one of the real remits of the museum was to correct the issue of bottlenecking for some of our visitors through the spaces because they were very linear spaces and a very limited room to manoeuvre, really. So if you had one buggy in the corridor, it was game over for everyone else. Um, and now, you know, um, right and have really thought about that. They've really thought about how visitors navigate the space, which has served us really well, actually, for COVID restrictions, because now we're thinking really intensely about how we navigate visitors through our spaces safely. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's set us up well.
0: And it raises an interesting question, doesn't it, about what happens to your character and your place in the heart of the community when you do up visitor numbers and i noticed uh reading the history i didn't realize that the arms houses themselves had this sort of long proud history of actually being about capturing green space in a very very dense part of the city have you faced opposition from locals who were kind of like we quite liked that this was a secret place and this was always half empty and why are you kind of catapulting it center stage um no we, we haven't we haven't had that, actually, so much. I
1: think, you know, we have been really mindful of the fact that a lot of visitors and local visitors, um, you know, it's a place that they visited often as children, and we're really mindful of the responsibility, therefore, that we've got for people's memories of the museum and the space. Um, but we haven't had so, so much of the, you know, of the you know, keep it secret just, just for us, actually. I think um, everybody is kind of willing us to you know open up more and uh, be more accessible so i think everybody's in that same that same space
0: and in terms of um creating a new outdoor space as much as a museum um Nyla, i'm interested to see the the business about improving biodiversity and putting in a green roof and really working those gardens and the relationship between the indoor and outdoor space did you work with landscape architects or did you really oversee all of that
2: well, we work with Dominic Cole, um, landscape architects, but also the museum's garden team have an unusually in-depth knowledge of horticulture and gardens and what is the right garden for this for this site. So the front gardens, they, they've always been, they are a very large green space in Hackney, which is a bit of a rarity, uh, and they've, they're almost like a public park, whereas the back garden is much more domestic in its feel and there the gardens through time, which are kind of similar in, to the period room sets, um, you know, the room through time not on the ground floor. Um, but the, the green roof was interesting because it was, particularly now when so many people don't have outdoor space, it really uh, reflects the idea of colonising um, underutilised spaces, things like rooftops, which are you know people are starting to do more um, and particularly as a result of covid and that, that actually meant that as a result of adding that pavilion in the garden we didn't actually displace any any green space at all we kind of elevated it to crowns pavilion um the, the learning pavilion was on a former area of hard standing so again we didn't lose any garden there and then the new entrance whilst it's um kind of a sculptural set piece mainly of hard landscaping most of that can actually be it's very generous so it can actually be occupied as well by the public and and part of that idea is that we we want to invite the public and to occupy that space and and hopefully to go into the museum itself.
0: I guess um over the last year I mean this business of of access to open space in the city has become almost the ultimate symbol of, of the privilege and the not so privileged, hasn't it? And I was, I was reading about your uh, initiative to encourage Londoners to send in kind of warts and all photos <laughs> of their experience in, in lockdown. Um, and it, I wanted to ask really about how you see the relationship between being a museum creator and being a political activist um, being an academic because i know the museum is involved in all of those things
1: yeah well it's, it's interesting that you uh brought up that collecting project the the stay home um because actually that was a situation in which we as a museum moved in a much more agile way than we ever had before so you know the the nation went into lockdown and we quickly quickly realized that as a museum of the home we were that the space for people to start thinking about those experiences and it was a hugely um, you know, emotional and psychologically traumatic time as well. I don't, you know, if you think back to the early days of lockdown and how people have sort of changed their perceptions of lockdown throughout the year, it's actually really interesting. But um, one of the things that came out of that very strongly was this need and this yearning for open space and and greenery.
0: You're listening to 80 Conversations with me, Isabel Allen. You can subscribe free of charge at architecturetoday.co dot uk forward slash podcast
1: so yeah we were really mindful of again our our position as a useful museum you know how are we useful to our communities how do we actually provide things that they that they that they need um, uh, and um, that's been kind of at the heart of of what we're doing but in, in in terms of um activism we're certainly really interested in the home as an activist or, or radical space as well i mean the home throughout time has been a space where people have often discussed ideas it's kind of been a kind of breeding ground for um you know political movements and political ideas in space you know the kitchen table is a really um interesting like, dynamic location you know uh, there's there's often sort of you, you know feminist groups who kind of describe it as their boardroom um mm-hmm. you know sort of back in the 70s when you know all, all, all of these ideas about how the world could be different. Um, you know, you know where where did they start? You know, oft, often in, often in the home. So you know, we are really interested in all those different aspects and avenues of you know, you know, pulling out what home means means to you, and that 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 could be more or less radical.
0: Can we just talk for a minute about the issue of the statue? Because I've seen, um, so obviously it was the Jeffrey Museum. Yeah. You've got the statue of is it Robert Jeffrey? It Robert yes. Jeffrey yeah, up there. Been there for a long time. Um, And what I have to say I admire greatly is that you've confronted the kind of debate head on. I think a lot of institutions and cities have have just sort of gone la, 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 whatever. (laughs) Let's let's put our head in the sand. And um, a lot of others have got very excited and toppled statues down without necessarily a great deal of thought about what they're trying to achieve or what happens next without belittling the rage behind that move. Um, And I know you, you kind of looked at it and thought, okay, let's let's think very hard about the intelligent thing to do. And you had a lot of discussion about it. Um, so I, I guess, well, first of all, what were the issues that that discussion threw up? And where has that left you in terms of decision-making? It's still there, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's 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 still there. You, you know, the thing that we really want to be for people above all else is welcoming. Um, and, you know, home is... It, is about belonging in its in in its ideal um, incarnation and so really one of the biggest questions was how do we welcome people who don't feel comfortable with that statue being there i mean it's right in you know in the center of the building and you know that that's that's an issue that we are still grappling with um, because obviously there are lots of different thoughts and you know ideas about where we go with this yeah i'd say welcoming and belonging have been two of the biggest
0: um, and I, I'm going to just go back to a sort of slightly more directly architectural question, Lila, because I I'm a huge admirer of uh, Wright and Wright's work, and obviously you've got these different strands. I know Claire has experience working in housing associations and in housing. Of course, you've also worked on great cultural institutions. Where do you see this project as sitting in those traditions? Does it bridge the two?
2: Um, I- I think this project is about it's very much about stitching into the into the city um and which is what a lot of our projects are about um and and the idea of new into old um and that the, the synthesis between new and old which is a lot of our projects kind of epitomize that idea there their refurbishment of existing buildings but more often than not contemporary additions to historic sites. So this project is a, is, a, is a really welcomed addition to our portfolio of work and the sorts of projects that we really love to work on um, and we're really fortunate that this is the set of work you know that we work in because our, all of our clients care so deeply about the projects uh, you know as much as we do and and typically they're the custodians of the building, which I think can really make a difference about, you know, for the success of the project.
0: I notice also there's another campaign which has to do with stopping homelessness, particularly amongst women over mm-hmm. the next two years. Um, and I guess, you know, the very fact of having a museum of the home is it's got this kind of positive and negative connotations, hasn't it? It's got the snuggly and the domestic and the kind of inclusive. And then of course we know that some of the, the greatest psychological and physical fear and and deprivation happens behind closed doors and you're you're shining a a light on something that's traditionally very, very private. Um, So how can the museum actually highlight those issues and what can you do directly to help?
1: Yeah, well, so
0: that project
1: behind the door, um, that's been configured from the start as a partnership project because... The museum identified very early on that it wanted to make a a difference and bring about change in in key areas uh, affecting the home. Um, But we aren't always the experts in this, and we aren't always the people on the ground um you know with the knowledge of of delivery for the communities in the best way which is why it's absolutely crucial that we partnered with charities who were absolutely expert in this field of work so we've partnered with the london homeless collective which is a collective of a number of pan london charities of all different sizes doing work in, in 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 myriad ways um and so the idea is that we're really working together to uh you know, raise awareness, but also to raise funds that can go directly to making a difference. The role of the museum in, in that is obviously that we have a platform and that we, and we have a voice and our expertise is in programming and, and content. So we're working with those charities to think about the myriad ways in which we can start to raise awareness of female homelessness, um, but also raise money at, at the same time for that, for that cause. So um, in the autumn, in September, we will be launching for the, for the first time a, f- a festival of home Which would be an annual event Um, so that would be just one example of how we're using programming and say a festival format to start to explore things in different ways so you know it would be everything from panel debates potentially through to um, theater performances and that would be cross-site and actually you know the what, what is brilliant about the new development is it does open up the whole site to that different kind of programming that actually now we can um you know look at it as a campus a whole campus so we can start to animate all these different spaces which means that we can look at one topic and tackle one subject in lots and lots of different ways simultaneously. So, um, yeah, that's some of the plans.
0: Ahead. Uh, and, and Nyla, how does it feel for you? Is it slightly odd that there's now a kind of future for this project that you've been so involved in? What happens next for you? And um, you've grown up with this project. You've become a partner in the company with this project. Yeah. How much has it shaped you? I
2: think it's... Um... It's, it's, it's sort of irreversibly changed me, but not in a good way. Not not a bad way. It's kind of you do kind of uh, as an architect. You I think you have to care deeply about the projects that you work on, and I, th- I know that most of us, you know, eat, breathe, and sleep our projects. And you kind of wake up in the middle of the night with thinking about a, you know a window detail or a door detail or something that you've been working on all day. But I'm really looking forward to um, the museum. You know fully occupying the building and realizing it's for potential and um, but particularly the public actually you know i i I go to hackney all the time and I walk past the museum of the home all you know all the time as well and i am just really looking forward to seeing the public in the gardens and in the spaces and in the front entrance um you know kind of in an unassuming way they obviously won't know i've had any involvement in it you know just (laughs) almost like a fly on the wall just you know visiting really as a visitor i'm looking forward to going as a visitor
0: you're not suddenly going to do it do you know who i am (laughs) no no definitely not but you
2: know before before the project started i was a you know super fan of the museum but and that's kind of amplified since i've worked on the project
0: Sonia, Naila, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Absolutely fascinating. I can't wait to visit. And um, very best of luck. You've been listening to 80 Conversations with me, Isabel Allen. You can subscribe free of charge at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcast.